2: Welcome to a special episode of Dunked On Here, posting the full audio from Nate and Danny's weekly live chat on Locker Room. You can download the app for free and
3: join them every Tuesday at 6 Eastern for about an hour. You can hop in and interact with them and hit them with your NBA questions. And we're experimenting with this on the podcast feed, too, in case you missed it. So let either Nate or Danny know if you like having these available later as podcast episodes. And of course, Dunked On Prime subscribers get these episodes ad free. So again, here's Nate and Danny from that weekly locker room hangout. And again, you can catch them there every Tuesday at 6 Eastern.
0: Hi everyone. Yeah, get this is a good chance to get your speaker requests in here at the beginning of the queue. Just a reminder how we like to do it. We are going to try to make it a little more interactive. So if you have a question, we'll uh, we'll try to come back to you at least once to get your thoughts. If you disagree with us, feel free to rebut. A good good civil disagreement that seems a bit lacking in our society these days so uh hopefully we can elevate the discourse uh, a little bit and uh danny danny is running this thing as far as uh getting the speakers in so i'll turn it over to him
3: yeah so uh nate westerman first speaker request so you are up now
0: what's up nate we uh, uh, I just was taking his questions in the chat like two hours ago <laughs>
4: there's some uh, greedy question asker um thank you guys for your time uh this one's a bit more of a uh hypothetical or i guess broad question but when you look at the current landscape of kind of contenders and nba which of them do you think has the most uh repeatable process for how they built their team to contender so if you were i guess taking over like a blank slate roster and you were going to pitch your owner on i'm going to follow the team x model to uh build a contender i guess who would you who would you look to for that as like a example of how to do that my first
3: thought was yeah. my first thought was the Bucks. I mean, the Bucks didn't didn't particularly do it through high draft picks. However, getting an MVP outside of the the high end of the lottery is is particularly rare. But also the idea of the importance of finding the right coach who can run the right ideas. So remember that the Bucks were not this iteration of the team. I mean, Giannis took some big steps forward, but Mike Budenholzer was an important part of their team building process. And so I think that they were the first thought um, and they've been in, they've been in the mix now for a few years. You could argue that having your best player, you know, getting them that way and being able to develop them, that that is unusual. And that is, that is a fair point, but it's also unusual to get that player through unrestricted free agency. If that is, if, if you are not a major market. So like, let's say you're the Memphis Grizzlies, I don't think that the Lakers or Clippers model is particularly viable for you. Uh, I would
0: say Philly and OKC. Awesome. So the process, basically? Yeah, I mean, that that is that is the uh, – Sam Hinkie saw it. Sam Presti saw it. Presti is doing it again now. Particular kudos to Presti for being willing to tear down when they actually still had a semi-decent team. I think that's uh, part of, of this when you actually – he moved too early instead of too late as basically all these other teams seem to. And so, yeah, I mean, the the only reliable way is just get yourself enough draft picks that one of them is going to hit or two of them are going to hit. I think that's, that's the only thing you can really point to. And yeah, there's some things about like, you know, scouting and development and all that stuff too, but that's, you know, it's hard to say, oh, this is, we know exactly what those processes are. And here, here's how we're going to, you know, at least at our level, here's how we're going to repeat that. So so, those are the two to me where if I were running a team, that's what I would do. Instead of, you know, getting a guy at 15 in the draft. That's fair. And having him turn into a superstar. Uh, you know, I mean, you can't count on that. It, it helps, but it, you can't count on that. What do you think, Nate?
4: Yeah, I, mean, I guess that was, those are the two I was thinking. Uh, Philly, I guess, makes sense because the Hinkies, I guess, philosophy was just keep drafting high until you find the players to build around. But I guess with the new lottery reform and just how difficult those process years was, I guess I was kind of curious if that's even really something that you could be uh, selling most owners on these
3: days. Well, what's interesting about that is you're right, that the change in lottery odds has made that approach materially less fruitful than it would have been before. But what's incredible is, especially as a non-major market, like this is why I've been arguing that the Knicks and all these other teams should basically be doing teardowns for years when, before they did it, especially actually in the previous CBA. Um, but outside of that, it's even if it's less Fruitful now than it would have been before. It's still, I would say that that it's your best path, and also remind like a reminder with with the Bucks part of it. And I I concede the point today. I I hadn't really I hadn't remembered that the Sixers were a contender because you'd set a contending team right now. Um, and so I, I think though that even if it's less fruitful than it was before it's still the most reliable path now if you can if you can already have a Giannis level player on roster or you know like the Mavs or some of these other teams then it's a different approach but most teams aren't that lucky and most players who look like they might be that level don't end up reaching the MVP heights that are necessarily a part of being a title contender. Well, thank you so much, to Nate. That was a that was a great question. Um, we can move on. Uh, Chris, you are next in the queue, and other people, if you get join in,
5: we'll we'll answer your questions too. Nate, Danny, how are you? Big fan. Back, glad to be back on the uh, the old app. I forgot the name, which is embarrassing. Um, hey um sorry. locker room it's locker room oh, okay all right you gotta get the plug in um yeah exactly no quick question i honestly i don't even remember if i've asked you guys this before but my question is you know with rumors that the sixers are are interested in potential top suitors for kyle lowry in your guys's view what do you think is the best move is packaging you know what whether it's you know danny green maxi scott first round picks you know some players and some picks for Lowry or would you do some kind of like borderline moves like maybe a Bielitsa or a Fournier like you know something like that that would keep the Sixers depth intact because in my opinion I'm split down the middle adding Lowry would definitely open their proverbial championship window for the next two years possibly three years I don't know given Lowry's age but the thing that the Sixers have struggled with is in the past few years has been depth. It's always, always, always been depth. They've never had, when they lost to the Raptors, they they traded basically their entire team away, but they couldn't sign a backup center. Last year, they had no one that could consistently dribble the ball and make shots. And then this year, it seems like they kind of have a little bit of both, but they still are struggling with depth. So I guess my question is, is which would you prefer? I mean, do you see where I'm coming from with trading for Lowry would take away like the majority of their depth?
3: yeah there's definitely merit to to that concern. I will also note that they have a different general manager at the helm now adding functional depth in season is extremely difficult, and a lot of that relies on whether the buyout candidates you know especially if we're talking post deadline, whether the buyout candidates have an interest in you and Philly would i think especially if they got lowry, they would have some some intrigue, but when you consider that the Lakers and the Clippers and some other teams the bucks for backup point guards in particular might be might be generating some interest I I see your concern um and I will I will put the typical caveat that Kyle Lowry interest for me would depend on what you know you can't make a firm agreement but what inklings you're getting in terms of his willingness to re sign? because as a one-off it's not worth the price that it seems like the Raptors are looking for but if you can have him at a contract that seems workable for a couple of years, then as you said, it widens the window. So I think that your concern is valid. However, I think you need the window open in the first place. And Nate is more of a Sixers skeptic than I am, but even I, as the more Sixers optimist, would feel so much more comfortable about their viability as a title team if they had another player who can who can run offense a real another half court force because it's tough when you rely on a big man and just having more options makes it harder for opponents to take anything away just because you can't send extra resources so yes it would it would be painful to get rid of some of that some of that important depth. but if he's willing to resign at a number that you can live with, I would do it.
0: Yeah, I guess I just don't think that a lot of those depth pieces are that important and they could also potentially make other moves uh, as well to fill that out. But to me, Lowry isn't exactly exactly what they need because they could use a, maybe a little better pick and roll scorer than him, but that player's not available. You can also resign Lowry using bird rights as well, which you would not be able to do if you don't trade for him now. And, yeah, going for Fournier would be an interesting one. I would like his fit in Philly as well, and maybe the price would be so minimal uh, for him that you would consider doing it. But, uh, I mean, if they can get Lowry for the type of price we were talking about in the mock trade deadline, I would be very, very interested in that if I were Philly. Um, Anything more to say on that, Chris?
5: Uh no that was that was the entirety of the question one actually I guess one last half question uh Danny you're welcome to uh, answer this I know Nate is a big Simpsons fan and uh given my profile picture as my Nate who is your favorite character Oh actually my wife and I were
0: just talking about this yesterday she's she's saying Monty Burns is up there uh Police Chief Wiggum is pretty hilarious uh, for <laughs> me as well uh so yeah I, I mean I think I think Mr Burns is probably going to be it though because it so many of the funniest plots just revolve around him and just the dichotomy of him being like so pathetic in some ways and yet so evil and controlling it in some other ways it's uh it's really amusing so i probably would have to go with mister i think he's one of the more essential characters outside of the main
3: i was hoping you were going to jump off burns because that was my first thought because part of why mr burns is such a such a good character as you think about the success rate, you know, like how often is he in a storyline and how good is it? I mean, the first thought I had was like, see my vest and all that, like a lot of it, but also Homer working for him. And so like Homer, the Smithers and a lot of, a lot of those angles as well. And that, yeah, I mean, and, and it's also hard when, you know, you can think about on, on the like long running comedies, the main characters are very rarely like those, those best ones just because they're going to have misses, you know, like it's, that's just the nature of it. Um but yeah, Burns is Burns was my first first thought overall.
5: Great. Thanks, guys.
3: Okay. Thanks, Chris
0: Man. It is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix sleep since
3: um we'll go to sad Eli you're next in the queue you there
1: yeah I'm I'm, I'm here uh uh hello Nate uh hello Danny uh big fan uh but uh, uh I have a question about the Raptors most most importantly and then I have one about the rockets if that's okay uh sure for the Raptors uh, I see like a lot of fans are like a lot of Raptors fans are like you know worried or whatever and it's like for me, I'm a Heat fan, but I've seen a lot of Raptors games, and uh, I think there, there there's been a lot of data to there's been a lot of data to match up with the fact that the Raptors are a talented team, and yes, they have issues, but I don't think I don't think after like I don't think it's to the point where oh. They've reached their championship high. Now it's time to break everything up because, like, if you look at last year, like, team shot the lowest percentage on uncontested threes in the history of the tracking error. Right? This year, yeah. it's up to the eighth highest out of like the 240 track. It's like sometimes, sometimes you run into bad luck, right? And it's like I don't know if that's per se a reason to break it up. It's like the same thing, same thing with the uh, with the Blazers. Like oh, the reason you know they've won a lot of games because like. They've had a lot of three-point luck, and they've had like a lot of free-throw luck, interestingly enough. Uh, and I think that's contributed to you know them winning. And that's been you know like game being in, in the MVP conversation has been like a big conversation because oh he's carried them to whatever seed they are. And then I point out. Well, I mean, they've had luck in this spot, this spot, and this spot, and everybody shits on me and says, oh, shut the fuck up. No, it doesn't matter. But, yeah, that's that's all I – so, basically, the question is mostly about luck, right? Luck in the NBA and whether and whether it matters when uh, you're constructing a team, basically.
3: So, yeah, yeah it, it – yeah.
1: Yeah, you want right, to go, Nate? You go ahead. Yeah, so so with Toronto, I, I, there's kind of
0: two components to your question. I and mean, there's the, what has it been for them this season? And I agree with you. They've been unlucky this year in not only the shooting luck, but also just COVID and the discontinuity and being in Tampa and all that. And so I do think in terms of your evaluation of this team overall, they're not a 17 and 26 team. You shouldn't be making your decisions based on the fact that we're 17 and 26 you know, if you run this season over 100 times, I think they're more likely to be 26 and 17 than than 17 and 26. So that, that component of what you're saying, I, I completely hear. And I guess the second component is almost, it's almost existential of what do you want owning a team? What do you want as a, a fan of a team? Do you want to be probably, you know, a fifth or a sixth seed for a couple of years? Is that worth something to you when you've already won a championship? Or do you say, hey, let's. Kyle Lowry is going to be on an expiring contract. It makes more sense to get what we can for him right now. And uh, maybe there's something a little off about the chemistry with Pascal Siakam with some of these incidents. And maybe it makes more sense to, to reset. So that's and try to tear down a little bit, but then maybe build back to a championship. Because I think, would you agree, Eli? It doesn't seem like with their present group, that they're on a path to be a true contender at this point in time.
1: Uh, just from uh, the outside looking in viewpoint, I I think that's accurate. But hmm, I the thing is, with, like the Lowry trade is when you bring that up, it's like I don't know if I don't know if you know Kyle Lowry necessarily loses value next year as opposed to this year, at, or at, as much value to to the point where he's not like. Let's go into this all season and let's try something out. And if that doesn't work, we can ship Lowry, right? Or or if we see early in the season, well,
0: well, his contract expires though, so so they don't. I mean, that's that's the the big thing that's driving all this is if he's not under contract next year, he can just leave. Uh, and so the The feeling is, if you don't feel comfortable about re-signing him, and he's probably going to want over twenty million a year to re-sign on a three-year deal, that that's really like, yeah. If he was under contract for after this year, I I would be much more in agreement with what you're saying. I think. Sorry if I if I mischaracterize what you were saying there.
1: You still there, you yeah, Oh yeah, I'm still here. I was just uh, I thought uh, Danny was going to give a take. Also,
3: oh, I I, I can, <laughs> but um, I. I you you said you had something on the Rockets too. I'll I'll start with that and then I'll maybe if I if I feel like I have time I'll go back to the Raptors point. Eli, you said you said you were going to ask something on the on the Rockets too. Was that the other thing?
1: Oh, yeah. Uh so with the Rockets or, or uh do you have an opinion on the I mean Nate, do you have
0: Um you're just uh, being that the the Blazers are are lucky or uh this year and and that he's and he's being overrated because of that. Is is that what the uh, the idea is, or a or tab- I that? a tad
1: a tad bit, a tad bit.
0: Yeah. Um. No. I mean, I because I I'm I, maybe that's part of it in the general consciousness. I mean, for us when we talked to item number two in my MVP, you know, a lot of that was based. I shouldn't say a lot of it, but it, a little tiebreaker was that he's been so unbelievable. It, in the clutch this year. And yeah, maybe that's not repeatable, but it's also when you're talking about value, it's what happened. It's already, that's already in the book. So you have to count it. And he's one of the best offensive players in basketball for sure.
1: And so I, he's What they're a, doing he's defensively, at least for me. A Sorry. Bottom 50, a bottom 50 defensively. Like this year specifically, and I think he was a lot better defensively last year, but it just seems like this year, and maybe it's like, maybe it's like the switching responsibilities. And I know that like a lot of Treble fans want Scott's out. But it's, like, he just seems so much worse defensively. And, it, and I, I think, like, the defensive on-off and the defensive PIPM, the defensive LeBron matches matches that eye test. And, yeah, like, it's, it's – it, he seems a lot worse defensively. And I understand that, like, everybody's looking. But the reason people say, oh, he's top, you know, he's top something MVP isn't because of what you brought up. Like, you were like, oh, he's one of the best offensive players in basketball. His clutch, you know, his clutch effective field goal percentage is, like, tops in the league. And he's also scoring the most, so he has the highest volume and the highest efficiency. Like, that's a realistic reasoning. Their reasoning is he's carrying the uh trailblazers to this record, and it's like, and it's like, you know, I, and then I point out, you know, I, I think that's a little inaccurate, and then I give reasons why. And then I'm like, well, if we want to talk about luck, you know, Giannis is leaving the Bucks to the second highest adjusted uh adjustment net rating in the league, so like, he should, you know. Probably get MVP consideration, but you know, they're always like, no, it doesn't matter. All right, so so thanks, thanks,
0: Eli. I guess that Danny, and I can react to that, and, and then we can bring the next person in. You definitely uh, do your research, which we appreciate. I think the negative defensive metrics. I've talked about this a little bit with some of these small guards. It's just yes, I realize that they are bad, but I'm going to say he's probably reason number four or five with their defense being bad behind Carmelo Anthony and. Ennis Cantor and, you know, he, CJ is another small guard. So I you know maybe he's reason number three or four, per, perhaps. But I, we've seen that you can make a good defense with guys like him. So I don't say, oh, he's the reason that their defense uh, is bad. And, you know, I put more of that uh, on some of the larger players. Um, all right, Danny, should we uh, bring in someone else
3: here? Yeah, let's bring in Ben Chapman. Um, you are now on the line.
2: Hey, guys. Uh, big fan. Um, I have a kind of a question about uh, Kyle Lowry's bird rights versus trade value, and I think you know, feel free to disagree with what uh, what Masai eventually decides to do. But in your opinion, what is basically like kind of the the pivot point for what the worst trade package you would accept versus just you know running it back with uh, with Lowry's bird rights if you give an indication that he's not necessarily totally out the door in free agency.
3: So if you get if you get an indication that he's not totally at the door. So I mean you're you're rolling a, a dice to an extent there because I mean he could easily leave and a, a real concern for the Raptors has to be that some of the potential suitors for Lowry in particular are teams that can just sign him outright. So you might not even get a serious return through a sign in trade. Like you could think about the Sixers getting functionally Josh Richardson out of the Jimmy Butler circumstance. Like that sort of thing might not happen. My line, so it's funny. I was on the other side of the negotiation, the mock trade deadline. But where my line would be for the Raptors, roughly, is a first rounder and a young player that has some that that has some some upside. So not just you know, hey, this guy is young, could be something. So something in in line with that, Tyrese Maxey and a late first. Like I think that is about the lowest thing that I would take, but I would take that because. If, and again what you know from what Kyle like they have significantly more information this is always a challenge with our line of work is that Masai Ujiri knows a lot more about what Kyle Lowry's thinking or at least he should than we do and if he's more willing to resign but also like where are the Raptors going we they have all these big contracts already in the books but to answer your question about what what we're kind of seeing is the return that's my that's my minimum if somebody if you can't get an offer there I'd just keep him
0: well, and, and I think a lot of it just gets down to what Lowry wants as well, and, and his uh, relationship with the organization. If he really wants to be somewhere else, then I think you just he's earned that with the organization, and you just take whatever the best return is, regardless of what it is. Yeah,
3: and and also those go together because if that's the way he feels, then he's not going to resign anyway, and he'd especially. No, if you
0: pe- were if they were twenty six and seventeen, and as I talked about in the last question, instead of seventeen to twenty six right now, and they actually had a chance to maybe make some noise in the playoffs this year. Then and get a reasonable seed, then I think I would feel differently, even if he did potentially want to be somewhere else. But uh, this year is looking pretty darn lost, particularly with them seeming to start kind of imploding emotionally a little bit here, too. So, um, yeah, anything you want to on say on to Raptors that? Twitter ben, right now, <laughs> what'd you say?
2: I said, His dark day is on Raptors' Twitter right now. Hey, it, it is five year <laughs>
0: grace period. That's what Bill Simmons
2: says, right? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, for sure. We're still very. Oh, I'm a lifelong Raptors fan. We are still very. We are, you know, very, very short into a long term grace period. But I think like, um, you know, I I do think Norman Powell, for example, he is very much in the you get you you take what you can get mode. His value will literally never be higher. He's going to get paid.
3: Ben, Ben, can I interrupt with a question for you? Absolutely. We, Nate, and I, Nate and I do this in the abstract, but I always find it more interesting to ask a fan of a specific team. Whatever you are defining success as, and you can tell, tell us what it is, whether it's being a championship contender, winning a playoff series, making the playoffs. Do you think that a long-term foundation of Siakam, OG Ananobi, and Fred Van Vliet is good enough to get where you want them to go?
2: So that's like a bit of a loaded question for a fan who never thought his team was going to ever compete for a championship. Um <laughs> <laughs> it, to, to be perfectly honest, um, I am, like I said, I've been through very, very dark days with the Raptors. Um, I'm more content, like, by the end of the Demar era, I was ready to, like, blow it up and start over. As you can imagine, like, that was incredibly frustrating. Um, but with the glean of the championship and having those players kind of go into their prime post-championship and be the quote-unquote guys, like, that is more palatable when you've had that recent success. And, you know, to kind of going back to the high 40s, maybe maybe even low 50s win range, if we can add some pieces to that, is more plausible. given that we did have that one run. Um, if that never happens, it's a, it's a little tougher to, to sell emotionally as, like I said, a, a diehard Raptors fan. Um, but I am kind of okay transitioning to that core given that uh, we do have that one season, if that makes sense.
3: Because... Okay. Uh, we have, we actually thankful. Awesome. We have a lot of, a lot of questioners in the queue. Uh, we'll go with Jack Halligan next. Jack, hey there- guys.
6: Hey, hey, what's up guys? H- huge fan. Thank you so much for taking my question. Um, I want to talk about the Charlotte Hornets guard situation. I know that's been on everyone's minds with Lamello's terrible injury, um, but it seems like everyone just sort of assumes that there isn't room for all four of, you know, Lamello, Terry, Malik, and Devante. And as a fan, it seems like we're finally in this position where we have a good culture building. We have a lot of guys that are under team control that we've kind of given the opportunities to succeed and they've, they've been pretty good. And it just, I don't know. Do you guys think that there just is no way that all four of those guys could be on the team next year and we could add, you know, a decent center and kind of try to run this back with, you know, an improved LaMelo and PJ and Miles taking a step forward and, you know, just to, just to kind of try to keep, keep the band together for one more year.
0: Well, I think, so the big problem there is uh, Malik Monk has a $16 million cap hold for next year, and right. they have $22 million in space, uh, and Devonte also has a $4.7 million cap hold. That, that $22 million in space includes Devante's cap hold, does not include Malik Monk. So maybe you would say, all right, if we could get Malik Monk to agree early on, because this is the opposite, right? You want to get his cap hold down to what his actual contracts be. He's not going to make 16 million next year, almost certainly, you would think. So maybe you can get him down to take, you know, 8 million over three years, uh, or, or I'm sorry, 8 million a year over three years, and then still do something else in free agency. But I think the opportunity cost of holding on to Monk is probably a little bit too high, particularly given this big hole that they have at center right now. So that's, uh, I think. I, I like Graham. We'll see what his price tag ends up being. You know, having him around as a third guard, I think, w- would be really nice. I think he's kind of shown in this year he's a little bit more of that than, you know, he wasn't able to take a step forward off of last year. So that would be my strategy. And maybe if just nothing materializes in free agency, you could bring back Malik Monk and look to trade him later or see if he can fit. But it's just, it's tough. He's going to have salary expectations that are around $10 million a year, you would think. Or at least salary hopes and for a guy who's going to be a fourth guard that's it, it's tough to put that into your long-term salary structure so uh, any thoughts to add to that Danny
3: uh just conceptually like if Malik Monk thing notwithstanding I think having four mouths to feed in the back backcourt is totally fine I think that you can handle that the challenge will be can you make sure that Malik Monk and Devonte Graham sign contracts that in case somebody outperforms it, but probably LaMelo Ball. I mean, we we all expect it to be. That you could theoretically pivot to another direction. And Charlotte, especially as like they're they're in this nice place, and if they can add to this moving forward, that's really nice. And it's also a couple of years until their important players really get raises. So like LaMelo, that's not until 24. P.J. Washington, that's not until 23. So I, I think that there is a way to do it, but Nate's right to bring up the the qualifying offer slash cap hold part of this, and yeah, that's why the the other conversation that needs to happen for Mitch Kupchak is: can they get the center they want for the available money that they'll have? And I mean, the guy that Nate and I have both been circling. I mean, now this year it's not Christian Wood. This year it's probably going to be Rashawn Holmes. But if they can if they can get that player for enough money, then then yeah, you can run it back. But then the the only other note that I would say is that if we're looking for the best version of the Hornets moving forward, I might also consider using that resource if you can to try to get another wing, even if they like the guys they have. And, you know, PJ and Miles Bridges can be a part of where they're going. That's where you want to, like, throw as many pieces of spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks. That That's, like, where you have to do that. And so I'm rolling the dice more times there than I am at, like, third and fourth guards.
6: Makes sense for sure. Th- thank you so much for taking my question. You guys are the best.
0: and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the cap CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino, I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O, Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us.
3: Okay, let's go to Larry, Michigan. You are up yes hello uh got a tricky one a curveball
6: for you here <laughs> who would you take uh would you would you have as the favorite for the championship this year if the rules all changed this Yugoslavian billionaire came in? And put on a team, all of the NBA players from the former Yugoslavia. How would they stack up against the Lakers of the Clippers? We've got Jokic, uh, Doncic, of course. Goran Dragic at point. Boyan Bogdan. Saric, Bialica. And then a bunch of backup centers. Vucevic, Nurkic, Zubac. So
3: many backup centers. Too many,
6: too many. <laughs> Boban, Boban's your fifth center. Um, what do you think?
0: That's a pretty sick team. I, I think they would be right up there with Brooklyn for the best offense, for sure. I mean, that Doncic-Jokic combo and plenty of shooting around them. Uh, I think mean, defensively, though, they'd probably struggle. Yeah. So I, I think you know it, it would be interesting. And they just, you know, a, a low amount of overall team athleticism could be something <laughs> exactly. that would just add up. Uh, over time, but I mean,
6: that's, that's a sick team for sure. Yeah. We got to change the rules. So it's like European soccer and you can just come in, buy all these players, make it happen.
3: No, we really shouldn't because that would lead to all these other downside risks, but it, but it is a, it is a fun thought experiment and we appreciate it for that purpose. All right. Well, thanks Larry. That was great. Um, let's go to, actually, I want to answer briefly a question from, uh, from, from Aiden in the, in the discussion asked if the qualifying offer and the cap hold are the same. It depends on the player. Usually for first round picks, they, for first round picks, they are not. So in the case of Malik Monk, his qualifying offer is actually much less than his, than his cap hold, but um, that the cap hold is what is prohibitive. And but for example, the qualifying
0: offer or your cap hold, whichever whichever is higher, is larger.
3: So, but for example, uh, Duncan Robinson and Kendrick Dunn both fit the starter criteria that raised their qualifying offer, which thus raised their cap hold. That can happen as well. Let's go to David Wilkes. David, you there? Okay, David. Um, if you if I see you back in the queue, um, I will I will let you I will let you ask a question, but. But are is it? Yeah, I
0: think I think he's trying to mute and, and unmute. Let's give him a second. Okay, here. give him a second. David, sure. D- are you still there or you got a background noise? Uh all right, okay. yeah, we lost a... him. Let's okay, uh, so, we we'll, we'll get him back in though.
3: Yeah, if we see if we see you David, we'll get back. Uh Tim, you're next.
7: Uh, Tim, you
3: there? there. Yeah, am, am my audio coming through? Yeah,
7: sounds good. Perfect. Um so I'm a, a big Utah Jazz fan and um, you know, I don't think we're really that active at the trade deadline. Um but one thing that I think is a weakness is obviously our wing athleticism. Um, so I'd be curious on your thoughts if we were to swap Boyan Bogdanovich for Aaron Gordon. Um, what draft capital would we have to give up? And I guess part two was: Does that actually make the Jazz uh, a contender, um, or does it raise their ceiling? Uh, basically.
0: Uh, for, first off, Tim, uh, awesome, profile photo. Where's Where's that from? Uh,
7: that is uh me and my wife in uh, Bali from two years.
0: I thought it might be actually. Uh, that is where my wife and I went uh, on our honeymoon as well. It kind of has a distinctive look to it. Uh, yeah, that was uh, ba- Bali is awesome. Uh, some of the friendliest people on earth there by the way um and uh food is pretty good too a- anyway so the question getting back to it is boyan for aaron gordon is it worth it what would it take um for the magic they probably would perceive boyan as a uh, maybe maybe not maybe they could see him as a three as a decent fit with jonathan isaac that's not bad but uh that four year 73 million dollar deal boyan has struggled coming back from that wrist issue he hasn't been the same Score and driver. He's kind of really just been more of a spot up shooter. I think he's taken a little bit of a step back defensively as well. So I I think you probably would have to compensate the Magic a little bit just for taking him before you even talk about Gordon. So I think the asking price there is probably along the lines of two first round picks. And obviously, the Jazz, it's complicated a little bit because the Jazz uh, can't trade one until probably 2024, I think would be the first one that they could trade, assuming the Conley pick goes in 22 so that reduces the value of your picks if they're further out teams generally want picks that that are sooner and particularly since this is perceived as a strong draft so yeah i think probably two first-rounders would be about it uh, to make that swap what do you think danny
3: i think that's about right i mean especially bogdanovich turns 32 in april so he's not on the magic timeline at least as as nate and i identify it we'll see if jeff weltman and, and hammond see it the same way and bogdanovich you know, 18, 19 million over the next couple of years. That is a lot of money for him. So I, I think that two firsts is about right. And the other challenge for the jazz is they don't have the right fit as kind of like a young player that you could replace one of those. Like we've talked about the maxi and a first round that the Raptors could offer for Kyle Low- or for that that the, the Sixers could offer for Kyle Lowry. They don't really have a guy like that unless the team is really enamored with Yudoka as their recent first round pick. So it is a challenge. And in terms of the, is it worth it? I would say no, Bogdanovich kind of can keep the churn going and I I understand the appeal of Gordon you might be asking him to do in some ways a little bit more manageable of things offensively but for the Jazz, I don't think it moves the needle enough for them like, oh, that moves them from, let's say, tier two to tier one. So I, w- I wouldn't I would say it'd be worth it for them.
0: Yeah, I'm a two minds about it. Um, You know, I, I think you still kind of can get what Boyan brings you by just putting in Joe Ingles if you want to instead. So Gordon does give you a different look. He's also younger, which they need, uh, uh, although whether they can afford his next contract is an interesting question as well. So I, I would think about it. Uh, you know, depending on the protection uh, on those picks as well, obviously. I don't know, Danny, I, I mean, maybe Timmy and Wade on this too, I, to get the kind of player they need who in theory could hold up okay against your LeBrons or or I, I wouldn't mind it also if like the guy were kind of a little bit more Kelly Oubre like to guard point guards as well to guard like a Jamal Murray, who they really struggled against last year, um, but yeah, that's that type of player. I'm not sure there's anyone else out there for that draft capital. Uh what do you think, Tim? Uh
7: no, I think I think you're bringing up a a good point and i it's really hard to obviously identify those three and d type wings um Boyan is kind of redundant he is getting uh basically attacked at this point uh i think uh for certain uh offensive game plans uh and that's going to be a, a huge liability so if there's any type of athletic wing that is out there to kind of go back to danny's point how do you get from tier two to tier one because the jazz are going to be pretty uh hamstrung going forward and this might be like their best window actually when you uh when you look at it
0: all right, thanks, Tim. We appreciate that. Uh, we want to bring in uh, our next guest here, Danny.
3: Yeah, we actually have twelve people in the queue, so we'll try to move a oh, little. Yeah. Fa- we'll try to move a little faster for the restaurant because we want to get as many as many in as we can.
0: All right, here I'll uh, I will set the timer. We may not get you guys get, a chance to get back in here at this point, but let's see if we can get through all twelve uh, of the remaining people. We'll try and keep limit it to you know ninety seconds or so uh, per person here.
7: Uh, Zach, you are on. Hi, uh, hi, guys. Thanks for letting me on. Um, I'm wondering, uh, can NBA players uh, pay their own players through sponsorships if they own another company that uh, could give a sponsorship deal?
0: So you're saying like LeBron James owns some company and he decides that he wants to have a player on his team. So that guy takes the minimum and he gives him a $5 million endorsement. That's kind of what you're talking about.
7: Oh, okay. I said players. I, I meant owners. But that that's an interesting question too. Yeah, like
0: the <laughs> Raptors ownership uh, owns the yeah. TV broadcast company and stuff like that. Yeah, no, you, you, I mean, there's always been speculation of stuff like that. There's always been speculation of kind of agreements that guys are going to keep getting paid after they retire, you know, Mark Cuban with Dirk Nowitzki or Alonzo Mourning with the Heat, that kind of thing. However, that is technically illegal. It is considered circumvention. And if that were ever proven, they would face draconian consequences, probably along the lines of what happened to the Wolves and the Joe Smith thing.
6: Right on. Thanks, guys.
3: Good question, though. Okay, thanks to Zach. Next up is Rob McIntyre.
6: Hey, guys. um, Windhorse had a report today that Andre Drummond was almost assuredly going to go to the Lakers on a buyout if he's bought out. Do you see, like... What the point of that is, I mean, they, two of their biggest three acquisitions over the summer were
3: both already centers, and when they were playing their best in the playoffs last season, they didn't even have a center on the floor, so I, I just don't see what that does. Well, so I'll, I'll go the, the other direction and not say it, uh, it doesn't make sense for the Lakers. It also doesn't make sense for Andre Drummond, because your goal as Drummond is probably to put yourself in the best situation for your next deal. Yeah, if he wants to have a chance to win a championship, that's wonderful, and I'm not going to knock him for that, but... That was a criticism that Nate and I had of like the deal from Montrez Herald's perspective, even before Marcus Soleil signed, was what are people going to remember from you this season? And the Lakers' best lineups are still not going to involve a player other than Anthony Davis at center. So for Drummond, if your goal is to open up the most possible teams and most possible situations for twenty twenty one free agency, it's not playing with the Lakers. So I think it's a mistake for both of their parts.
0: Yeah, I I understand the point of it because they want to replace what they got for McGee and Howard last year. Uh, but I don't believe that signing Drummond accomplishes that point.
3: Yeah, I think. Um... Oh, sorry. I accidentally I accidentally got. Here, Rob, if you pop in, we can get your response. Um, I, w- I was moving in lightning round speed in my brain. Um, Russ Heltman, you're next. Russ, you there? Yeah.
8: Hey, what's up guys. I was wondering, um, I'm a Hornets fan and was wondering what you guys think about pairing the ball brothers together. I know it's kind of been trolled upon a little bit online. as like, Oh, just get the, get the family back together. But I actually think it works with Borrego's system. They need a large switching, a larger switching guard, in my opinion, in that defensive scheme. And I think Lonzo would fit right in. He's, he's shown, I think to be a pretty steady shooter at this point in his career. And I think he would work really well on that team. Should they go after him at this deadline or maybe try to wait till uh, restricted free agency? I don't think that they should. It depends what the price is, obviously, but you know, you're,
0: you're acquiring Lonzo to pay him 18 to $22 million a year. And I don't think that that is a, an efficient use of this team's resources going forward. I'm a little bit lower on the ability of Lonzo to really be a switch guy. I think he's just a little bit light in the shorts uh, for that. I like him much more as a team defender than a one-on-one guy, and I like him more on smaller players than bigger players. So uh, to me, their biggest needs are one more real athletic wing who can shoot and defend. I'm not sure that that's uh, Miles Bridges and, and or P.J. Washington. At this point, and then a you know, really good pick and roll center uh, who can also protect the rim. I think those are, uh, and I like the idea of doing more switching. And I think that that works if Lamelo is kind of your worst switch guy, and Terry Rozier can hold up a little bit in that as well. But I think once you get uh, Lonzo in there and Lamelo, and also I think it would just be a little bit weird for them to to play together. There might just be some kind of odd pressures uh, on both of them in that situation that you might not want to deal with. So I don't think that I would go after that necessarily, you know, if the price were low enough. Okay. But I just don't think that 20 million on Lonzo is the best use of what they can do. Cause you know, you've, they've got some other cards already that are under contract for cheap or could be.
8: Right. Yeah. I can understand that. And then, so looking kind of more near, near future in the next week with the deadline coming up, do you guys think they should go after a center to try to bolster that 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 rotation because it's it the team has played well without Lamelo. the underlying metrics say that because of the like you're talking about the strength of their team being the guard position it hasn't really hurt them a whole lot without having him on the floor and he hasn't played a ton of crunch time to be honest even though he's started a lot
3: of games if you can get the player that makes the most sense with the long-term vision for the for the Hornets, I think you you jump on it now if you can. And I mean, there, I can't remember when I think it was Stein had the reporting that they might be talking about Miles Turner. Yes, absolutely. If you can get yeah. the right player, do it. And they also this is why for an office, is so important to have intel. Like if they've talked to ideally, if you've had preliminary conversations with Rashawn Holmes' representation to see if he's interested, those sorts of those sorts of things. But I wouldn't be making you know I wouldn't give up anything significant for rental unless you had any idea that they were going to be around long-term, but you can. And so that's why somebody like Turner, who's a, who could potentially be available. And then theoretically something like that could open up the door for just functioning as an over the cap team, though. We know the Hornets aren't going to pay the luxury tax.
8: That's true. All right. Thanks guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks Russ. All right, Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So no,
0: that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem, uh, Reese. You did it. You stumped this charming devil. We gotta, we gotta speed it up a little bit here. So, uh, ninety seconds on the clock for uh, Joel.
4: Hey, can you hear me? Yes. Awesome. I, I just had a quick question about. Uh, there's been a lot of names tossed out there uh, this trade deadline and for buyout candidates. And one name that I thought would, I posit, like I was positive that. I'd be hearing was Al Horford, but I haven't heard any rumors about Al Horford. Do you think he's going to remain on OKC to end the season?
0: If I had to pick yes, and I think he's more likely to be moved in the offseason because the problem with Horford is he makes so much money for next year that the construction of a deal for him is similar to what you saw for Danny Green where you're taking back worse salary because Horford can still play. So you're taking back worse salary of someone who can't play at all and getting a draft asset mostly for taking back the salary, but partially because Horford can still play. And I don't think that deal is out there right now because there just aren't teams that are trying to dump salary at, at this point in time.
3: I have nothing to add, so we can keep we can keep moving. Uh, thank you very much, Joel, for the question, though. I think Horford, yeah, I mean, we would have at certain other times. But also, he's been really good for Shea, so that's one other thing I want to mention. Um, let's go to um, uh, Anukarsh, Kar- and If I cr- pronounce that wrong, please correct me.
5: Hey, guys, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, so um, there's been a lot of talk about trading Lowry and basically handing over the offense to Van Vliet for the Raptors. And I I just think about, I just cringe when I think about that because all the evidence suggests that there's some pretty sim- serious limitations with Van Vliet's ability to keep an offense above water. And I also think he has some pretty serious passing limitations for a primary um, playmaker so what do you guys think um,
3: I agree with you I, I think that if the goal is to be competitive in the near term putting all of those responsibilities in the starting lineup on Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam who has taken on a larger role over the years I don't think that pushes the offense to a good enough level that they're going to be more than like a you know a, a reliable playoff team if the d- the defense should still be there but not really that dangerous you know the the first round and out kind of kind of approach. However, Toronto would still have other means to improve, and I think that Masai would have the you know motivation that the the player they add next to. So let's say Siaka Mananobi and Van Vliet are your non centers. There's one more spot. That player is going to be a capable ball handler initiator. I think that's the way that you would want to go. You wouldn't want to just add an off ball shooter or a defender. So it's giving him the keys. And if that's, but but also expecting that maybe somebody else could come and fill part of that void.
0: Uh, Danny, can we get uh, Ahmed in? He uh, got kicked out of the queue. So uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah.
3: Um. So yeah, we can do Ahmed. You are in. You there, Ahmed?
0: Oh man, tough, tough luck. <laughs> uh. All right. Well, keep trying, Ahmed. We'll uh, we'll look for you. Why don't we grab someone else here
3: or on the?
7: Hey guys, uh, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Okay, great. Um, so I was wondering, how real do you think the? Okay, Phoenix same rule applies are? to Thomas.
3: Hello. Again, you will you will
0: move. Yeah, sorry. I, th- I think we're. Uh, Tom. Tom was saying, how real do you think the uh, the Phoenix Suns are?
3: Oh, is it yeah. that I can't hear. Him? Yes. Oh, there we go. Got you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You were just like a little delayed for some reason. Maybe your internet's oh. been slightly slow. Uh, be Danny, sorry about there, that. Not, not Tom. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. T- Tom was saying, "Do we think the the sun? How real do we think the Suns are?" Is, is that your question? Yes, yes, it is. Uh, so I I talked about this in my chat for Dunton Prime today. I think they're pretty real. Um, now, would I favor them against the Clippers or the Lakers? I don't know. I think they have a they would have a pretty decent chance against the Jazz or the Nuggets. Uh, and you know, with Chris Paul's playoff experience, I think that Devin Booker is a real big problem for a lot of these teams trying to guard him. He has that aspect in a way that no one really on the Jazz has uh, with, with his size and ISO ability. And they've got good wing defenders. They've got athleticism. They can play small. They can play bigger. You got Chris Paul at the end of games as well if you're going against a team that's playing conventional pick and roll defense. And they've got pretty good shooting. So, yeah, they don't have like an absolute superstar player. That's why I favor the Clippers or the Lakers over them. But I think they have as good a chance of anybody in that next group for sure.
3: Yeah, the way I was thinking about it was I knowing what we know right now, I think I like the Suns the best against those two top the LA teams. I think they have the best you know, the best personnel to match up with them. And I think I like the Suns the most of the other against all of the other teams. Now, that can change based on these other teams making moves and health and everything else, but that puts the Suns in a pretty good spot. And remember Last year, I had Denver below the Clippers, and they ended up winning that series. Yeah, I guess my
7: hesitation is, you know, a lot of the talk is how their backup units and their units with Saric have been so successful. But usually when you get to the playoffs, those sorts of things tend to not be as helpful. You know, that the deep bench and the, the backup center tends to not play as much. So that would sort of give me pause in terms of how successful they could be in the playoffs. Yeah, well, they could
0: play charge uh, at center at the end of games uh, as well and see uh, how that look goes. You know, I, sure. again, I think if, against a team like the Jazz, I think pro- that probably would be what I would do rather than uh, putting Aiden out there. And I don't think you can do that against the Lakers with Anthony Davis. You could probably do that against the Clippers in a small game. Um, and th- the Nuggets obviously would be interesting. Although Aiden is not a bad one-on-one defender against Jokic. so. Uh, I think they've got some pretty decent versatility and uh, it's not even necessarily so much depth as like, oh, hey, our 10th man is coming in and he's going to beat the other guy's 10th man. It's more about just having different looks that you can go to depending uh, on the matchup. Um,
3: Okay, what's next here, Danny? Uh, Let's go to Charlie. You are next in line.
2: Fellas, thanks for having me on. I'm uh, just curious who you think the Bucks should target at backup guard. Maybe a little Brad Wanamaker. Maybe uh, Shabazz Napier. We have
3: a need there. Just I'd uh, like to know your thoughts. How many teams have I tried to to get Shabazz Napier on over the years? I I think that he is he is a really good fit. The other guy that I would be considering, um, and again, it's for whatever reason I value him more highly than the rest of the league would actually be if they could try to pull Jordan McLaughlin from from the Wolves. That might be plausible. I don't know exactly what's going on there. But Milwaukee has very limited means, so it's probably whoever you can get for the minimum. But, yeah, Napier and and Jordan McLaughlin would be my top two. Nate, anybody else to come to mind for you? Well, I don't like either of those guys because they got the same
0: problem as DJ Augustin, where just in the playoffs, once you get past the first Mm -hmm. round, Especially yeah, now I think you need Tucker. somebody who can
3: create good looks. Like, I think that's the most important thing that this guy can do.
0: Yeah, for me, I think it's actually a little bit more. You know, they've got Drew. They've still got Giannis. They've got Middleton. I think that's probably enough creation. Um, I actually like the Wanamaker idea, and you know, I think he would be better on a team where he can kind of just guard play a little more spot up and, you know, maybe do a little bit of dribbling, uh, but not too much. Hopefully not travel when he pump fakes and, and puts <laughs> the ball on the floor. Um, so, yeah, I would I would want someone with a little bit more size, um, you know, now for the regular season, maybe it makes a little bit more sense uh, for the type of guys that, that you're talking about, Danny. But I, I just, I think it would be, when you really get into it, I think it would just be so hard to play those guys that you're just better off relying on Drew Giannis and Middleton. You can keep two of those three guys on the floor pretty much all the time in the playoffs.
2: Got it. Thank you. Yeah, my dream would be Campazo uh, if Morris Morrison – Gary Harris come back, but that's probably unlikely. But he's just he'd just be a fun guy to have out there.
3: Oh, I love his passing. He's I mean he's been an absolute delight. It'd be fun to have him on the Bucks too. So yeah, on on board with that conceptually. Don't know where Denver's going to be. Um, Let's see. So next up in the queue is Matt. Matt, you are on.
8: No Carter, actually. Um, I know you guys have talked about Rashawn Holmes a lot as a uh, a possible option for teams looking for centers. I was wondering if uh, Carter has any value out there as a, a second draft, maybe now that Chicago is no longer playing him, or if you think he should still be part of Chicago's uh, long-term plans.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting question, and we talked about it w- when I had the Bulls in our mock trade deadline. I kind of said, hey, if if I can get a decent first-round pick, maybe 20 or above, I, I might consider. Moving him, if I were Chicago, I don't know that he has that type of value here, completing his third season and really has not taken a step forward so far this year. I mean, he still is playing, but he's the, the backup center. He's not closing games. So I don't know what, what his value is. I think that you certainly have to explore it, though, if you're Chicago, as you would uh,
3: with marketing. Thank you, Matt. Um, We will go on to Red. Red, you are on.
1: Hello. You all to hear me? Yes. Oh, okay, cool. Um, So I think Aaron Gordon is probably one of the best players you could probably put in a four-on-three situation behind, like, Zion, uh, Giannis, and AD. So that makes me think Warriors, uh, Trailblazers, or Nets would be a really good landing spot for him. I'm going to take the Nets and Warriors out because got Draymond and the Nets. Got a lot going on. So what do you think Portland have to give up to get um Aaron Gordon, and, and do you think they can keep uh, Trent Jr.?
0: I think they can keep Trent Jr.
1: uh,
0: and that they shouldn't give him up uh, because I I think he's a pretty important part of their future and that third guard role and could also move up to the three at times. Um, So uh what they would have to give up you know I I think there's talk that Orlando has offers for two first-round picks out there that they had that deal with Houston and then I guess Gordon just didn't want to be there which I I don't blame him for that one so two first-rounders seems to kind of be around there maybe it would be a first-rounder and one of their young guys Little or Simons or maybe if Orlando had interest in Zach Collins to resign as a restricted free agent so I, I think right around that level seems like uh, what the value is going to be for him. Anything to add there, Danny?
3: No, I, I mean, that we we dealt with this in the mock deadline, and that was really where we ended up. And I would try to keep Gary Trent if they can. I think that he's a nice fit for where the Blazers are going. And, I mean, we do have the question of how much is ownership going to pay? Gary Trent's going to get a big raise. Um, and obviously we know that CJ and – Damian Lillard are gonna they're they're paid as well, so that that could be a challenge, but that would be a nice little foundation for them building forward. So yeah, pretty much on board. Um, thank you very much, Red. That was that was a good question. Um, I do not. I'm gonna say it, Ege, but Ege, you are on the air. Hello. Hey, how you doing? Uh, I'm good, thank you.
4: So my question was: um, Every year there is an unexpected player that suddenly overperforms the expectations in the last month or month and a half of the season for example kobe white last year or josh jackson in previous years who are your main candidates for this kind of uh jump let's say
0: anthony edwards gotta be number one right
3: that was the first guy i thought of Especially because he's going to get a lot of a lot of touches. It's it certainly looks like that's where the wolves where the wolves are going. Um, I'm trying to think because especially those players are often on less competitive teams just because they're giving other opportunities. Wouldn't stun me if one of the Cavs guys Garland or Sexton was in that mold as well that they have
0: yeah sexton he he was one of those guys a couple years ago and then uh he we thought it was probably not real but it kind of has turned out to be real for him but yeah we have seen some mirages too obviously uh, as uh uh Ege was uh referring to. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing your name there, by the way. But uh yeah, yeah. Who else do you got here, Danny? Kevin Porter Jr. That's one, I think, for uh Houston. He's yeah, got all you can eat.
3: I wonder how the Kings are gonna use Tyrese Halliburton. It seems like if he's going to start that Halliburton will just step into a smaller role that he won't won't do it as large. But he he can end up having having a real opportunity. And whatever other Thunder guys, I mean, Dagnalt has has gotten a Dagnalt has gotten a lot of production out of out of players. It, it wouldn't stun me, but Shea's gonna have the ball in his hands for the most part.
0: Two other candidates for me, Rui Hachimura and Cole Anthony, if he can ever get back healthy. Yeah, let's hope he does.
4: I was also thinking uh maybe Baisley, but now it seems uh is r- will really cut into his role. So that seems less likely, I guess. Huh.
3: Okay, uh, last up, we have one person in the queue, and we probably have time for one question. John, you are on. Hey there, Danny and Nate. Uh,
0: My quick question is about the relationship between soccer and basketball. I see a lot of uh, basketball uh, Twitter, like NBA guys, they are big soccer uh, fans, and I was just wondering – is it do you guys um, like soccer at all? Do you guys see any correlation between the two?
3: Yeah, I mean, I played soccer through. Uh, I played JV my freshman year of high school, and then I wasn't good enough to play anymore. I couldn't. I couldn't play, so I wasn't. I wasn't really on the team after that. I've loved soccer for a, for a long time, and yeah, I do see some parallels. I mean, the the difference between like players who don't who don't do a lot on the other end of the pitch in soccer's in soccer parlance versus basketball that's an important difference but in terms of the collaborative nature of the sport and the idea that you know you multiple players often touch the ball and you have to use you can succeed with different with different methods but it's not as similar as like baseball where everything starts the same i think there are a lot of parallels and it also makes sense that people that there are people who are into both and that are into analytics of both. Like I know that like Seth part knows another one of those, like the soccer analytics and basketball analytics, people sometimes have some overlap.
4: Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: What I was thinking was players like Draymond Green is kind of like a midfielder. He does the impact that he has doesn't show up on the stat sheet, just like midfielders and defensive players don't show up on the stat sheet, but they make huge impacts in soccer.
3: Yep. I'm, I'm broadly on board with that. And the idea that, there, there are things that you do that aren't scoring or assisting um, in in soccer, and you know there are metrics to try to get at some of that. And there, uh, I don't know enough about soccer analytics. I really want to get into it. it might be an off season task for me. Um, but yeah, I, I think that I think that you're on you're absolutely on the right track. Um, so thank you, thank you so much to to John for the question. Um, and. Thanks. Thank you to all of you for, for joining in, participating, whether you were in the discussion part of this or you were in the uh, asking questions. And hopefully hopefully, we got to it and we will be back, same bad time, same bad channel next week after an exciting, hopefully, trade deadline.
0: Yeah, and a reminder too that John Hollinger and I do our pod live uh, on Locker Room. So if you follow me, you'll get a, a notification on that. And then we usually take questions for 20, 30 minutes or so afterwards. We're going to do a special time probably around 8 eastern whenever uh john finishes his writing on thursday so we'll have a great chance to wrap up uh, the trade deadline so a reminder on that and as danny said thanks for joining us reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but
1: let me play devil's
0: advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing Uh, (laughs) that's
1: definitely not a problem Uh, Reese's, you did it you stumped this charming devil